0: Be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic.
1: If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. We are living in the age of influence. After learning about my guest through a fellow podcaster and friend, Dan Nessel, I became deeply curious about how and why influence matters as much as it does. Neil Schaefer is the author of Age of Influence, and for the last decade, he's become a globally recognized leader in the world of social media and digital marketing. Having written multiple books on social media and networking, he's become a leading voice. His successful podcast, Maximize Your Social Influence, dives into all things social and digital which is exactly what we do in this episode. Specifically, we talk about themes from his latest book that help to illustrate the enormous power of influencer marketing. We learn why word of mouth is still the currency that's most valuable and why social media plays a critical role in inciting this. He shares why being a celebrity is no longer the type of influencer that many brands need. And he talks about the value of finding a community and how even micro-influencers, you know, the ones with not millions, but thousands of followers, play a critical role in helping brands find that community. It all has to do with relevance and being trusted. We even explore how various regions around the world, like China and Japan, are at different places when it comes to embracing influencer marketing. This episode and his book isn't about what it takes to be an influencer, but rather provides insights about how to embrace the voice of influencers to enhance your brand. I learned a lot from this one, so let's jump straight in to the conversation. Neil Schaefer, thanks for being on Inside Out.
0: Billy, thank you so much for inviting me on the show. I'm really pumped to be here and can't wait to hear how our conversation unfolds.
1: Me too. So let's get started Before we jump into influence in more of the traditional sense, I want to talk about a different type of influence. So you attended school prior to having your abroad session in Beijing. You attended school in Taiwan to learn Mandarin on your road, on your path to becoming fluent in Mandarin. And you ultimately and subsequently ended up living in China and living in Japan for, I believe, 15 years. And I'm curious how that experience living abroad and specifically living in China and Japan, how that influenced you?
0: Okay, I'll, I'll stop with the Chinese, but hey, right. I, I, <laughs> I talk the talk and walk the walk. Yeah, I point to when Steve Jobs passed away, we all started looking at that Stanford University graduation speech that he did. And he talked about connecting the dots, that we're all unique entities And once we're able to connect the dots, we just uncover so much passion and potential. If we keep on that path, we we can do incredible things. For me, I grew up in a part of Southern California where I had a lot of Asian American friends. And I'd go to birthday parties where I was the only Caucasian in in high school. Mm -hmm. And this is some time ago. It's more common today. So I was on a journey to connect those dots. What was the attraction? What do we have in common growing up in such different cultures and, and backgrounds, what have you? And therefore, when I went to, you know, university, I'm going to do, I'm going to learn an Asian language and I'm going to do a junior abroad uh, overseas. My father, may rest in peace, was very supportive of me just experiencing what I could. And he was a big traveler himself. And yeah, if you have the opportunity, go, do, explore the world, meet other people. And, And not only did I go overseas, but I really was intentional what I did. And I think that's what we see. It's funny when you hear people talk about like Instagram marketing strategies. It's all about being, especially with social media in general, it's all about being extremely intentional in your purpose is when you find the greatest results. So rather than it was the first, you know, I did a summer in Taiwan before going to Beijing my junior year, and it was the summer in Taiwan, get out of school mid-June, the program starts at June 25th, and then there's July 4th, the July 4th weekend. So all the American students were all out partying because in Taiwan, it was very easy to to go to a bar and, and order alcohol, what have you. I got on a bus where I did not know where the bus was going. I did not know where I was going to go, who I was. I wanted to get on a bus. I went to the bus station. I've just picked the city that was like two hours away. And on the bus, I ended up talking to the person next to me. And obviously she spoke a little bit of English, but it was mainly Chinese. And that night I'm in a dormitory. In a Tainan University, speaking with a Jordanian foreign exchange student and drinking Arabic coffee and (laughs) spending the whole night talking about politics and cultures in China, what have you. So it was really the intention that I had of not just learning the language, but immersing myself in meeting new people and immersing myself in in foreign cultures. And that, you know, when I graduated, I decided I was going to start to work in Japan. And I had picked up Japanese my senior. I won't say picked up. I I still don't have to learn. But I thought, you know, if I live overseas, every day I'm going to learn something. And if I worked in the United States, it just would not give me the same opportunity to every day enrich who I am. And it's funny, Billy, because I still think about it today. I still do a lot. My main product is a B2B product. It's mainly like B2B consulting, right? But I still do a lot to engage with people to create podcasts and blogs. And I'm not, there's no call to action there, but it's building up my level of influence, my level of authority and more people that I touch. And I know it's someday, the bigger the platform you build up and the more relevant it is to more people, more businesses, there's inherent ROI there, right? It's funny, you know, one of my clients that I just got off a call from is, is a real, you know, a big real estate company. And it's the same thing. When we talk to all these successful agents, they talk about the community relationships and the influence they've been able to exert there that naturally build up their influence in the community, which naturally leads to business, right? Mm-hmm. So I connect all the dots. And I think that my experience in learning Chinese and, and all has this unifying approach. And, and therefore now I go back to think about what I did before, why I did it, why I do now, why it makes sense. I don't know how much sense I'm and I, I know that I probably gave you more than you were asking for, but everybody listening, you know, I think we all have a chance for success, but we gotta be, everybody talks about the word authentic. And authentic is just being yourself. There's no other fancier word for it. But really, you know, the deeper that you dig into your own unique past experiences, why you did certain things, your achievements, your failures, I think that is our greatest chance for success in in any endeavor we do in business or, or personally.
1: Well, we are a product of our experiences and you can connect the dots and you can look back and say, well, why did I do this? What did I learn? What did I gain? How has that informed the human being that I am today? I have a fascination of Japanese culture having only been there once, but having worked closely with Japanese people earlier in my life, I just gained this fascination with the culture. I'm just so intrigued by it. So we could do a whole podcast
0: just about that. I do want to yeah. talk about one thing, though. I'm looking for all the Japanese things in my... Uh, I mean, uh, sure, I, yeah. I mean, all I got is a Japanese screwdriver set that I picked yeah, up my last I, time there, but anyway. Yeah. You
1: can. Well, I know, I mean, you you, and and my friend and your friend, Dan Nessel, who originally, if you recall, that's how we originally connected. That's right. When, he, when I found out his story, I was like, okay, I'm going to like this guy because he has had these experiences that I'm both intrigued by and deeply curious about. And so we could have a fun conversation about... That one thing that you have highlighted, which I'm really interested in, is that China has done a pretty good job of leveraging influencers. And conversely, Japan hasn't necessarily embraced social media in the same way the rest of the world has. Why do you think that is the case? And maybe you can share a little bit more in terms of why China's embraced influencers and an influencer philosophy and why it maybe hasn't taken on as much
0: in Japan. Yeah, I think, you know, China is sort of in many ways the Wild West. But the thing about China is when I was a foreign student there, there were no phones. Very few people had phones. Normally, there were only Communist Party members that, had, that were able to have a phone. Now, in our foreign students dormitory, there was one phone booth, but there were no buttons or dials. You pick up the phone and there's an operator who would connect you. Mm-hmm. somewhere around the world. Yes, they were listening into my phone calls when I when I called overseas and I was there during the Tiananmen demonstration. And wow. anyway, uh, that that's a whole other topic. So when technological innovation happened around the world, when we're like, oh, you know, cell phone technology, great. They're like, well, we'll just, we'll, we don't need, nobody needs a fixed telephone line. We'll just go directly from where we are now to cell phones. We'll just mm-hmm. bypass, sure. you know, 50 years of, techn- of, of technical innovation because, because of what we have. And they've been able to do that. And their society has been structured around, really, technology innovation first. We, any Chinese that I talked to at the time, and it's funny because when I meet Chinese now and I tell them I was in China at that time, they go, oh, we were so poor then. But even when they were, quote, unquote, poor than they are today, there was this cultural and it's part of their education, what have you, that we were number one before, we're going to be number one again. So they want to be the, the most technologically advanced country in the world. And that's what really drives them. That's what drives their society, right? That's what drives their economy. So because of that, they went directly into digital, right? Mm-hmm. And sure about with, with coronavirus, they have location-based apps, QR codes. they built like a national app with contact tracing. And if you want to go into a store, you need to show your app and you need to make sure you have a green light, which means you weren't exposed to someone that had coronavirus in the last four. I mean, there's also this on the flip side about privacy, because it is a communist society, they, they can do that. And is it good or bad for the people? That's a whole other topic of discussion. But mm-hmm. because of that, and because they are so digital first, it allowed... And the other thing is that what I find working with Chinese companies is they never really did social media. So they would rather just work with influencers to bypass their own social media, mm. if that makes sense. And it's yeah. a very, very different... Than Japan, which is still one of the most traditional societies in the world, people still buy newspapers, people still buy magazines. If you go on a train, you'll see plenty of people that still read traditional media. Television, it's all still very much controlled by traditional media, meaning if people are still consuming things traditionally, it's harder for people outside of that, which is digital and social media, which is where influencers play, to really have more and more influence. Now, more and more people do, and I think in in Japan, we're starting to see the emergence of YouTubers that have gone on to be celebrities. We don't see that with Instagrammers as much yet, or with other networks. So it's a combination of how prominent you know, digital media, I believe is in their society is number one, the social networks they use is number two. And that's explained why Japan has really been a little bit behind. In fact, if you were to look at in a- Asian countries, how many hours per day do you spend on social media, you'll see Japan is quite behind, mm-hmm. especially when you compare them like Southeast Asia. I mean, Philippines, I think is number one, but but they're almost behind every country because traditional media still, people still consume a lot of that, whether it's traditional TV or newspaper magazine. So so yeah, every country is very different. And when you think about China and Japan, they have their own unique social networks. Japan has Line, China has WeChat, Mm -hmm. and China has a whole host of others. So yeah, I mean, every country is different. So if you wanna do things internationally, the net-net is you gotta work with a local partner. Yes, I know with Facebook, you can advertise to China, you can advertise to Japan, but you're really not gonna be successful Unless you work with local partners there and influencers obviously are great local partners to work with, especially in China, because there's so much manufacturing in China, you have a lot of influencers that have been able to develop their own product, right? You have more of that in China than anywhere else in the world. It's just easier for them to connect the dots with manufacturers. You see more and more influencers doing that here in the States, but that's why China for all those different reasons is when it comes to influencer marketing, it really is far ahead of, you know, where anybody else is in the world.
1: Yeah, and it's fascinating to think about how each country has their own unique place in this wide landscape of influence. I like you; I'm a Los Angeles guy. I I I grew up on the other side, and your high school was on the opposite side. I was went to Palisades, the P on Peninsula. I know you you weren't at; it wasn't called Peninsula at the time, but the P P is, is the same P. So I was on the other side. But people always associate influence with. Celebrities, But your book says, actually, sometimes celebrities don't make good influencers. And I found this really, really interesting because your book's focus isn't teaching people how to be influencers, although there's a, some sections on that. It's more to show how brands can leverage the voice of influence to help elevate their reach and build community. And so I wanted to understand a little bit more about why it's so important to remember that Influence isn't just about name recognition and it nor is it about even follower base. You say it's more about relevance. Why is that the case?
0: Yeah, and and, and thank you for I, I think that's a great distinction about using not influencers, but the voice of influence, right? Mm. Because people over the last few years have just associated influencers with the stereotypical someone that has millions of followers on Instagram you've never heard of. And you sort of question, are those fake followers? Is that fake engagement, what have you? Whereas Dale Carnegie wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People. And you know, we have Dr. Cialdini who wrote a book on uh, on influence, obviously. The best. Yeah. So obviously, my cousin, quote, unquote, uh, air quotes, uh, Mark Schaefer, Return on Influence. So there's been a lot said about it on a different scheme, similar to the scheme that I think of when I think of influence. So here's the thing, right? And this is the case study. And it's funny, Billy, because since I published my book, I'm already working on my next book. And I already have case studies from just promoting this book on influence Mm. to that that really talks about who is an influencer. So talking about the relevance, I come out with a new book, right? So I could reach out to someone on Instagram that has 10 million followers, that's an Instagram celebrity, and say, hey, will you promote my book? But if their influence is gained because they're a dancer like Charlie D'Amelio on TikTok, who has a fan base of primarily high school kids like my daughter, or is it someone, is it a fitness? influencer who has influence because they have an amazing six pack and they have great workout routines what have you every influencer is very very different because at the end of the day they gain influence from the content that they create and that they publish in social and digital media that's where they have people that's why people follow them so when they go outside of that and they recommend a book on influencer marketing you can imagine first of all i don't think a lot of those influencers would take on that sort of engagement. Second of all, it's irrelevant to what they do. And third of all, it's irrelevant to their community. So it is a lose, lose, lose. And that's why you can spend a lot of money. And brands do this, right? Because they work with people based on vanity metrics. They don't go deep into understanding is that relevance there or not. And it's very easy to spend a lot of money with a lot of people who will take your money and they're doing their best. They're not bad people. you know. They're not saying, well, this may not be the best fit for my community, but We'll give it a shot. They're not saying that mm-hmm. deep inside. They probably think that, but that's where the relevance is so important. So for me, I just got actually LinkedIn uh, Business Solutions today just published a blog post. You know, seven recommended marketing books to read into in 2021. It included my book. That to me, now that that's organic. That's not working with an influencer, but that to me, being on a podcast like yours, where you have tens or hundreds or thousands of listeners. And maybe a few of those people are going to buy a book. That that to me, I'm working with an influencer by being interviewed by you because I think that has more relevance and that's going to push the needle further than working with someone who has way more influence, but the relevance isn't there. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best, it's possible
1: Mm. It goes to the principle that you outline, which is looking at micro influencers or nano influencers. I don't claim to be an influencer, but based on your framework, I guess I would qualify being you know almost 20,000 followers on LinkedIn and having a podcast. And this is a form in the publication that you're in with LinkedIn is a form of what you call earned media. And so there's, you break it down into four parts. There's paid media, there's owned media, there's earned media and then there's employed media can you break down each of those and maybe give
0: a little bit of understanding of why each one plays a role yeah it's it's a model that actually came out like a decade ago so anyone in in marketing probably has has seen the you know the paid own earn and it's just it really came about with the emergence of social media and the emergence of social media advertising and and obviously influencers as well that it's all sort of coming together but really the idea is that you have a website that's your owned media right you have earned media, which is when other people talk about you, and then you have paid media, which is advertising. And then, well, what if someone talks about you on Facebook, but it was done through an influencer collaboration? It's, it's a earned media because the influencer is talking about you, but it's also paid media. And in fact, you might reshare that on your own media as resharing user-generated content. So it's all sort of coming together. But my next book has really taken a step back from looking deep in influencer marketing and looking more into general digital marketing and really you have the paid the owned the earned are three great ways of looking at it you you know you either have your own media or you're paying advertisements the earned if you have PR obviously this is where engaging with influencers can gain you more earned the concept of employed media is something that came out I'm going to say you know 5 6 years ago this concept that we should be leveraging employees as talk about our company so you have this thing called employee advocacy which i used to run a conference called the social tools summit that was by far the most popular topic back in 2014 and 15 and we see companies that are that, that have done it over time of really trying to get their employees to share the brand message on their personal social media. And when you think about it, there's huge potential. So in my book, I talk about employees as being another type of influence, right? They like, know, and trust your brand. And some of them can be quite influential. And and finally, the reason why these employee advocacy programs didn't work is that employees were not treated as if they were influencers. They were treated as if, well, why wouldn't you share our content that is self promotional, and why wouldn't you spam your network with? it? And nobody wants to do that, right?
1: Right, right. <laughs> totally.
0: So it's very encouraging, and this is what I talk about in my book. That Walmart just last week launched a employee influencer program. I think it's five hundred of their employees that are somewhat active on on TikTok or Instagram, what have you. And that's more of what I'm talking about. Well, if you're going to reach out to other people to collaborate. To get more word of mouth for your brand and social why wouldn't you start with the people that already like know and trust your brand right mm-hmm. and this is where i bring together in the concept of influencer marketing not the people that we think about when we think of that term which is people that we don't know they may not know us they may have never even heard of our company and focus first on people that already know us your employees your customers your followers even people that mention your company or or, or your product in social media it's an inherently not only is it more authentic, because when people talk about your product, you want them to be actual users of your product, but it just, it deepens the relationship. It builds that word of mouth, I think, in a more sustainable way than a one-off with an influencer paying a lot of money. It's it's a one-time transaction. So then when we get back to everything, the way I like to look at organic, getting back to the original question, organic, paid, and earned, I think it really comes down to organic and paid. The earned is really influencer marketing. And when we look at social media, the organic is dead. Mm-hmm. It's all becoming paid. So instead of shifting your budgets purely into paid social, create one of these influencer programs, invite employees, customers, brand ambassadors, in essence, should replace your organic. In fact, you know I look at the Disneylands, the Ritz-Carlton hotels, the Maersk shipping lines, all these companies, their Instagram is 100% user-generated content, right? right. And if you can generate that content from employees, from customers engage with with more and more people that they're bonafide influencers. Now, even influencer marketing agencies, a thousand followers or more, you're a nano influencer. And I do see now with the coronavirus pandemic that brands are catching up to this. They're saying, you know what? We only want to work with people that have actually used our product before. Mm-hmm. Duh, right? What, what took them so long? We can get a lot more mileage by working with a number of smaller people who have authentic voices in real niche communities rather than working with bigger celebrities. Like my daughter, she doesn't even follow Charlie D'Amelio anymore because she's all over the place now because she's working with Dunkin' Donuts she's working with Disney. And this is what happens is people build influence mm-hmm. and the bigger the following, they tend to get broader into what they talk about and they lose less influence for that original niche topic that other people gain influence for because they remain niche. But I just want to throw out sort of a roadmap for those entrepreneurs and people listening just to put all this into focus because I think that... The way I'm not going to attack the way that marketing has been taught and and the owner pay doesn't work anymore, but I think going into 2021 and and with a digital first mentality that we must have, I think that there's just a different way of doing things that a lot of successful businesses are doing that nobody talks about that I really want to write the book and talk about in a nutshell. That's how I look at this old classification of things. And now it's like, okay, you, you, you have your own to further simplify it. And, and going into what I'm going to be talking about in my book, you have search, email, social, the three prime ways you engage with people digitally. So it's organic paid, right? Search is clearly organic or pay-per-click. You have email, which is pure organic or owned. And then the social, I, I you know, I talked about it with you, but there's also this, this notion that you can get earned for SEO, by developing relationships with other websites, right? Mm. For for generating backlinks and what have you. So for me, it's less about own, earned and paid more and more about things like influence, engagement, content, uh, this unique recipe of things that I think every business needs to be successful going forward. It's nonlinear, right? Uh, People are just all over the place. But the one common thing is it's all digital and relationships still matter. Influence still matters. Content is more important than ever. The concept of paid is still important. Pay-per-click, paid social, it still has its role. I think rather than organic or paid, relationships, engagement, influence, content are some of the the key ways to look at this going forward.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, for the same reason that celebrities, they don't build the same type of confidence for wanting to try a product or service as they once did, because people are wise to they're getting paid for this. And when you hear from somebody that is like we have talked about, you know, more niche, more specific, more relevant, and they're more human and they're more relatable. All of this comes back to being relatable. And we all know the old adage, word of mouth is the most powerful form of marketing or advertising. Well, it still holds true today. And what we're now enabled to do in, in a way that we, frankly, have never been before is, is, Is leverage the power of word of
0: mouth in new and creative ways, all of which you outline in your book. One of the things- And Billy, Billy, that's it. I mean, influencer marketing is inciting word of mouth. So if you're a Coca-Cola and you already have word of mouth, awesome, right? You have a natural install base of influencers that are already talking about you. But for 99% of other businesses out there, they don't. And the only way to win in social, one of those three areas in which you digitally engage is to incite word of mouth. So- if you can't get it going you got to work with external people to do that and that's really it speaks to the core backbone of what i think influencer marketing is nothing new we had the celebrity endorsement yeah. back in the day and now we have working with various social media users of of different you know followings to incite word of mouth get people talking about us
1: okay so i have two things that i want to cover one is how do we find the right people who are relevant and the other is How do we define the objectives for an influencer campaign? Because, you know, we hear about, well, what's the ROI, what's the ROI and all of these things. But part of the ROI is first understanding like what it is you want to accomplish. What are the objectives? You really highlight that really clearly in the book. So how do we find these people to begin with?
0: Let's start with the objective. And this is where I connect the dots. I wrote a book back in 2013 called Maximize Your Social, all about creating a social media marketing strategy. I see this as an extension of that, of you need to start with a strategy and a strategy starts with why the heck are we doing this, right? And you also said influencer marketing campaign. I see this as relationships are not campaigns. It's a relationship. It's Mm long-term inherently. So I, I look at it as a program. And you want to create a program and a program builds asset. A campaign is a one-time expense. And I think that's an that's important it. distinction that people also need to make. If you're going to do this right, you want to make it a natural extension of, of your company. Mm. And, you know, looking at it that way from a sales and marketing perspective, and, and my background, Billy, is, is for those that know me, is it, it's not marketing, it's more sales and biz dev than marketing, which is inherently more focused on one-to-one relationships. But it also means really dumbing down instructions so that my salespeople could understand it and adopt the sales process. So I just have a different way of looking at these things than than maybe a traditional marketer would. But to me, it's very simple. Whatever you want to achieve, what would success look like? How would you measure success? And then that becomes the KPI. And and you begin to dumb down what you want to do, how you measure it, and therefore how you're going to do it and, and how you're going to be successful doing it. Mm -hmm. So there's just so many reasons to work with influencers. A lot of companies will work with influencers when they have a new product coming out. They want to, you know, get word of mouth out there about the new product. For others, it's just, it's your month to month marketing. How many impressions did we get? How many engagements did we get? How many clicks did we get? How many leads did we get? For others, it's working with influential webmasters for SEO backlinking. That's another form of influencer marketing. For others... It's brand awareness. It's working with podcasters, right? So there's no one single cookie cutter approach to any of this. And which is why I say, just like I said in Maximize Your Social, I said, don't think about it as a social media marketing strategy. Think about it as a business strategy. Where does marketing fit in? And then therefore, where does social media fit in? And I would say the same thing with influencer marketing. What is your business strategy? What are you trying to achieve this year? Mm -hmm. And where can influencer marketing fit into that? And that's just the easiest most intuitive way. What are the three things that keep you up at night? What is the number one thing you want to achieve this year? And how can marketing and, and therefore influencer marketing help you achieve that mm. is really the correct way. To, and I don't want to get all esoterical and you know, holistic, but at the end of the day, that is the only one size fits all approach, right? Mm. It's based on that is really aligning it with your business strategy. You're not doing this for the sake of getting a lot of likes or, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it has to be aligned with a business strategy that that's important to what you want to achieve in the next year.
1: No, and it makes a ton of sense. And I really love the distinction between a campaign and a program where it's more integrated. It's more a part
0: of the overall tapestry of what your business goals are, what your objectives are. That's sort of, you know, the strategy, the objectives and, and what you want to look for. The, the now, when you want to implement the next step, if we think of this as a funnel, well, we need to figure out who the heck we're going to contact. That's so, right. I mean, your question was bang on. And really this gets down to who can help push the needle forward on this objective. So I come again to when I launch my book, The Age of Influence, who can help me get the word out about this book? So, okay, I could go to an influencer marketplace and hire 10 people on Instagram at you know $100 a pop and maybe they have 10,000 followers and okay, it'll get out to 100,000 people, whatever. Or I can understand if I really want to push the needle on word of mouth and sales, well, where do most people buy books? It's Amazon. Well, what is important in the Amazon algorithm? Amazon Reviews. And even my publisher said, hey, if you really want, you know, the number one thing you can do is get a lot of reviews on Amazon. So, well, what do I do then? Well, who could I contact to try to influence and encourage that might want to review my book? Well, this is where I got, you know, I drink my own medicine. What about people who reviewed my book in the past? Mm-hmm. They're my customers, my fans. If they reviewed, you know, previous books, chances are if I reached out to them, they might be interested in receiving a reviewer's copy for this book. You know, companies are always investing money in trying to get new leads, but developing extended business from their current clientele has a much greater ROI.
1: That makes sense.
0: And I, th- I think a lot of leading businesses actually invest more in retention than in developing new business for that reason with loyalty programs and and what have you. So that is just a a natural way of, of looking at my current customer base and using that as a way to get reviews, which I know will feed into the Amazon algorithm, which will help my book become more discoverable, which should lead to more brand awareness and sales. On the other hand, I can look at similar books to mine. So if someone read book A, well, I think they'd be interested in my book. And because this is similar to social media, I can see who have written reviews. For similar books. It's like, hey, I, I know that person. I know John. I know Lucy or Mary. I've heard that name before. Oh, we're already connected on LinkedIn. So now I have a, a bunch of new people that are influencers. Mm-hmm. Not everybody writes an Amazon review, very few people write Amazon reviews. So if they are writing an Amazon review for a similar book, gosh darn it, they are an influencer. It's like podcasting, right? If I think podcasting is a great way to get the word out, out around my book and I want to be a guest on podcasts, there aren't that many that talk about marketing books other than Douglas Burdett's podcast. He becomes the premier influencer for any marketing author. When you look at it that way, you begin to see, and then from a business perspective, you know, this, I had some people say this would be a great textbook in university. Boom. University professors that teach marketing, great people to do outreach to. Because if they would inc- you know, incorporate this in, in, in a textbook, you're going to sell a lot of copies. These professors are also well-connected in their communities with other business leaders. So you begin to see how you reach out to people that have impact, that can help mm-hmm. impact brand awareness sales in, in, in my example with the book. So you need to do this for your own industry, for your own sales. And pretty much, it's going to come down to a combination of your own customer's Some of your own employees are already influencers in your industry, but also who in, you know, in your industry, where do people go for information? Who do they follow on social media? Who do they listen to when they listen to a podcast? That's going to define who are the unique influencers for your industry. And you could do that with a survey, right? Surveying your customers, surveying your employees, surveying your social media followers to try to pinpoint who are these key people that have the ear of your customers, and, mm-hmm. and and once again you know we can go even further on tapping into your customers your email database your social media followers there are tools being developed that actually help you do this one of my clients i had i introduced a tool to them they used and they're like holy smokes there's a verified instagram user 150,000 followers that's already our customers they don't follow us on social media they've never talked about us on social media but their email address is in our customer database and wow. we can append that email address with social media data to bring one on one together so i think Marketing is inherently one to many. I think success in influencer marketing gets down to one to one and really building it. And for my sales background, building the CRM of your customers, followers, everyone out there and and really connecting those dots and finding the hidden influencers that already exist in your company, in your customers, in your email database, in your followers.
1: That right there is the reason why your approach works. And and my last question to you really ties back to something that is near and dear to both of us because I also have a sales background. Is it's it's the personal side? I think you highlight that the one of the biggest mistakes brands make is to treat influencers not like human beings. Part of the reason why influence matters is that brands can't they struggle being human because they're not. They struggle being relatable because they're not. So the trust factor has to be there. And you, you said it's a program, so it's a long-term vision. What can a brand or anyone that is in charge of developing a, an influencer program, what can they do to make sure that they have the type of relationship that will build trust between them and the influencer, which will ultimately lead to trust between the influencer and all the customers?
0: Man, so I, I think that you should be building a program and maybe there's another chapter I could add to the age of influence, you know, if and when there's a revision of really creating this program. And I think that the program has two sides to it. I think that the main, if we're thinking of early adopters of the program, I'm thinking number one, employees, including, you know, your marketing people, if you're B2B, your salespeople, they monetize their influence literally with their bonuses. Starting with the employees and then starting with the customers, especially those that already talk about you in social media, if, if those exist. And the employees, need training. And this is where in sales, we get into social selling training, but every successful employee advocacy program worked because they train their employees on how to become a better user of social media, right? How to become an influencer, how to become a blogger, how to take better photos. And I think the customers, on the other hand, they want to get access to more of the company, more products, more support, more exclusive opportunities. They want to peek behind the curtain, see what it's like to work there or meet your people in R&D, whatever it is, right? Um, I've engage with companies that also want to train influencers on how to do the same things they're training their employees on. And I'm sure your employees might want to get a hand on your products as well if they don't have them. So so I think when you marry those two together, you begin to build a program of your own employees engaging with your own customers. I mean, how, how better to build trust yeah. than to have that sort of interaction going? And I think it's orchestrated by a department, which is, is probably marketing, could be PR, could be corporate communications, but really starting with at this point, if you're if some of your customers are already nano or micro influencers, they have more than likely already been approached by brands. It's really, and I talk about this in the book, an open ended conversation. How can we? You know, we want to build this program. We want to help you. We want to help train you. If you're interested in it, we want to help give you access to product. We want to help you become more influential. Right? Imagine if all your brand ambassadors became bona fide influencers. That's really the approach. And it's really an open ended. Everyone's going to have a different answer because we're all human beings, you know. In sales, what's in it for me? Well, that you know, you ask a hundred influencers, "What's in it for me?" And yes, money is an important part, but it's not just money. It might be product, it might be exclusive experience, it might be I'd love to get a shout out on Instagram, or I'd love to get a backlink to my blog. Right? It's I'd love to speak at your next event or your next webinar. It's all over the place. So you only uncover that. When you have those individual conversations, once you have those conversations and you build a program around that, that's when you have a one to many. But until then, I recommend you start with a small group and really build from there. And it should be an organic entity, not something, I mean, when you activate influencers as part of a long-term program, the activization is more of these short-term campaigns where you have these specific objectives. So if you have 50 influencers, maybe you only reach out to 10 people that are really good at something. For this activation so that's where you have the concept of in marketing we have campaigns i get it right we want to put emphasis on certain things so you have a broad program that you're constantly engaging with inciting word of mouth while you have these short-term needs where you're reaching out to subsets and working together with them and over time you realize the influencers that that perform better that create better content that are truly more invested in the program and then there will be some that just didn't invest any time and you know what a year from now, you you bring in fresh blood and maybe mm-hmm. those other people you lower to another level where, Hey, we'll keep in better touch in the future. So that to me is like the ideal, what a program would look like and what a long-term investment that the combination of long-term building asset with short-term activations. If I was VP of influencer marketing for a brand that is the exact approach i would take and and hopefully everybody listening will yeah uh, will understand that and take my advice.
1: Well, this has been a masterclass, my friend, and i'm so grateful for your time. It does come down to having organic, genuine conversations and treating people like people, understanding what they want out of it, right? Understanding what's going to make the most sense for it to be a win for them cuz well, ultimately, we want it to be a win win. It shouldn't be one sided, even if you are paying. So you can find Neil and learn more from him by going to Neil Shaffer, That's dot com. His podcast, Maximize Your Social Influence, is fantastic. I just listened to an episode where I got a ton of great ideas for WordPress plugins. I have a laundry list of plugins I need to go. Uh, <laughs> I need to go use. So thanks for that. I appreciate that, uh-huh. Neil. His book, which we talked about today is Age of Influence, go pick it up. I highly, highly suggest it. It goes obviously far deeper, gives tons of examples and tons of really, really concrete guidance on how to leverage the power of Influence, and of course, he's got other books. Maximize your social, maximizing LinkedIn for sales and social media marketing. He's got windmill networking, and so of course, he's on he's on social. He's on Facebook, YouTube, Pinterest. Most of which is Neil Schaefer, just as it's spelled, uh, with the exception of Facebook. It looks like Neil Schaefer page. What am I missing?
0: I usually say, you know, website Neil Schaefer, maximize your social influence podcast. Check out the book The Age of Influence, and yeah, I'm really excited. For this next chapter, uh, pun intended, I'm hoping in the next few weeks I'll have this new ebook out—a free ebook which will be an introduction to a lot of this digital marketing concepts, which which weave the concept of influence and some of these other things that I'm I'm really excited. So, just make sure you go over to neilshafer.com you sign up to my list on any of those widgets on the side or bottom, and you'll get informed when that's out.
1: Love it. Well, thank you so much, Neil Schaefer, for being on Inside Out. Thank you, Billy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.